Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Imagine there was a place where you were surrounded by like-minded people, digitally, and you didn't have to get up. You didn't have to pay for networking or get changed, to be frank. You do you. There's a place where you had twice a month, hour-long video calls live and also recorded and a history, a library of video calls of knowledge, of value, of different sections in property, raising money, using social media, how to find deals, how to find investors, anything, service accommodation, whatever. But also backed up by a 24-7 community where me, 17 refurbs later, 17 projects later, million pound plus project portfolio, 100k plus in flip profit, is helping you, is responding to things. Imagine. Be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Well, guess what? It does exist, and it's called the Tej Talks community. Now go to Tej Singh, that's T-E-J-S-I-N-G-H, tejsingh.xyz. Yeah, that's a real domain name, tejsingh.xyz, and book in a free 30-minute strategy call. Let's see if the community is right for you, or if it isn't, then I'll tell you. I don't need people in it who it doesn't suit. And see how I can help you. And let's talk about your goals. Let's talk about your strategy. So book that in and uh, have a look at my community. You can't join anymore without the call. So let's have the call. On today's podcast, I have a deal sourcer. Boo, hiss, boo. I know what you're thinking. Get them off. Stop listening now. Fucking deal sources. Um, yeah, I don't like deal sources, but I thought I'd get Dean on, have a chat, see how he does it. Because he specializes in uh, HMO deal sourcing, which, uh, you know, is something that isn't actually that common. HMO refurbs are quite complex and most deal sources don't want to do them because, you know, they can barely write a good email or a contract or a deal pack, let alone manage a refurb. So God forbid you have to do HMO. Um, so I thought this would be quite an interesting one to cover. He also posts quite a bit on social media. So yeah, if you're interested in starting deal sourcing or you think, mm, could it be a good way to start? Do I have the money for it? Do I have the time for it? This is for you, right? Because we kind of go through how to start off as a deal sourcer. So let's get it. Dean, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thanks, Tej. Good to be here. Good to be here. Now, um, I usually hate people like you, and <laughs> by by people like you, I mean deal sources. Uh, so, you know, the last time I had a deal source on was so many months ago. So you've made the cut on another level. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I feel honoured. Uh, you're not alone. I do as well. I, I usually hate most deal sources. So I'm with you on that one. Well, there we go. Um, and, you know, there's definitely reasons for this. You know, um, I think both of us come from experience, come from what we've learned, come from what we've kind of seen around us. Um, but before we talk about deal sourcing, because, you know, deal sourcing is probably one of two ways, the other being rent to rent, that I think is a great way for people to start in property. And, yeah. you know, I think objectively, it does require less money to start up. It requires less I'm not going to say less knowledge because I don't think it does, but it it is just easier and cheaper than saying, right, I'm going to find a BRR because um, then you need a you know 20% deposit, 25% deposit plus 20% refer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's definitely pitched. And I think when you started, it was probably pitched to you as well, like being the sort of get rich quick, just sell one deal and you can quit your job type yeah. thing, you know, high fives and shit. Um, but before we talk about that, like, what were you doing before property and then what um, got you into property? 
Yeah, so my, my background's a mixed bag. I actually moved to the UK as a, as a rugby player. I'm a professional or semi-professional rugby player. Um, and I've always been interested in property. Like from a young age, I remember my mum giving me a book on property when I was like 15. Read this, you know, get yourself set up. But I just never, I'd never gone into it because of my, my kind of rugby stuff. Um, I'd worked in sales. I'd been a territory manager for various companies. So my background was always sales. I was good at talking to people and that type of thing, finding opportunity. But it was it was COVID, Tej, lockdown that really our season got called off. So they said, listen, the season's off. You, you're furloughed, so you're still going to get paid. So you pretty much have the rest of the year. And I can't sit still. I struggle to sit still at the best of the time. So I'm like, I, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for me to really – step out and and you know prepare for for after rugby and i'd always wanted to do property so that's that's how i initially got into it mm. and you know when you were starting out as you know many people who are starting out nowadays there's there's so many things you can do there's so many strategies there's one person saying i do this another saying oh i do that and no you should never do that and one uncle saying no no do it this way and <laughs> like how did you know where to start because obviously your background is totally unrelated to yeah. property so like how did you know where and how to start yeah it was chance like uh, uh, i'll skip back a bit as well i missed this part i i was in france i was contracted to a french rugby team so there we had a lot of spare time now france i don't know if you, if you know the french lifestyle but they don't do a lot they, they spend a lot of time just living life which is perfect but again for me i had a lot of downtime um and I can't work there because I couldn't speak the language well enough to go and get a job. So I just started reading books. And I'm the classic story of, you know, rich dad, poor dad read that. And I just got the bug. I was just hooked on it after that. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of lit a fire in me. I want to do property. I know where I want to go. And then in terms of actually narrowing it down into how I got into deal sourcing, it was just by chance. Like I was in lockdown. I'd reached out to a few friends. I said, hey, is there anybody that you know that's in property? I'll work for free. I just want to learn. I don't want to, you know, be paid. I just want to kind of learn the ropes. I'd even I'd rocked up to estate agencies and I said, Hey, can I can I come and work with you guys for free? And I got rejected, rejected. And then eventually a friend of mine said, Yeah, there's another guy I know. He's a deal sourcer. Well, he didn't say he's a deal sourcer. He said he's in property. Get in touch with him. I got in touch with him and he was a deal sourcer. And he said, Listen, I'll bring you on. I can't pay you, but every deal you source, I'll give you a clip of that. And again, I was willing to work for free. So I said, yeah, that's fine. Let's, let's go ahead. So that's how I kind of, it was just by chance that I got into deal sourcing. And then, you know, you see the opportunity in it and you kind of stick around. Mm. And then, you know, when you were working with that person, was it, was it a beneficial experience? Yeah, it was, man. It was mixed. Like, I'm not going to lie because we'll probably touch on this, but it was very much oh, it's this easy. You find a deal here, there's 7K, 6K, whatever it is. We'll sell it on. You get half of that. And then, you know, away we go. There's nothing else involved. So there was a lot more to it that I found out the hard way. Um, But the initial experience of of learning the ropes, how to stack up a deal, you know, how to calculate a a refurb, how to, you know, what you need to look for, all these things. Yeah, it was eye-opening and and it was really, really informative. And... You know, did you, like, when you were starting out, were there points where you questioned, is this the right strategy? And even, is this the right thing I should be doing in my life? Yeah. No, not really. I'm kind of, 
you know, I've got a direction, I've got a path, I just go for it. Like for me, I could see the bigger picture. I could see that, okay, this is, you know, it's a genuine gap in the market that people need. I'm, I'm, you know, happy to provide that service. There was, there was areas that I questioned where I was like, this isn't the right way to do it. Or, you know, we're skipping a lot of information here, or this is going to come back to bite us or even just be an issue later. But no, because that was probably the only avenue I had. And I was happy to just, you know, just chase that and and really go down that avenue. And, you know, for people out there who maybe not heard of deal sources or who are sort of, you know, on the fence about it or don't really know kind of the benefits of it. Yep. Why would someone use a deal sourcer? Because Dean, I've got right move, so I can find deals by myself, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the biggest, like it, it is the biggest misconception is yeah, I can just find the deal myself, but there is, first of all, time is money and you're dealing with a lot of people that don't have time to, you know, scour through thousands and thousands of properties or right move and don't have, you know, the know-how to kind of make it work. So there's so much that, that goes into it. Again, you learn a lot of this on the go, but you're talking about different areas. You're talking about how to stack up a deal, how to negotiate, how to organize a home buyer and read a home buyer's report. Um, but what we do as well is, is we do the project management side of things. So, so we do the whole, you know, project from start to finish. Um, so that's, that's hard to do. Like if, if you've got a full-time job, a family, whatever else, and the properties, you know, in another town or city. So it's just time is money. So to pay to someone that has the know-how, the experience and the service to do that takes a huge burden off your plate, you know, at a relatively little, little cost. Yeah. And I think, you know, the kind of people, I suppose you mentioned there are definitely one type of um, customer, perhaps of yours or client, yeah. and one type of profile who could use a deal sourcer. But on the flip side of it, there's someone like me who, frankly, sometimes cannot be bothered. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, exactly. I, I know how to find a deal. I know how to calculate it. I can do everything myself. I can. I can sit here and do that. But, you know, sometimes you're just like, I can't be asked. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to pay someone if you, you know it's like uber uber costs so much more than a bus or a train yet yeah. you know everyone goes broke using uber because it's like okay i'll pay you a city amount because i don't want to you know i don't want to go on a train or so you're kind of paying for that service and that convenience so you know in your experience would you say that most of the people who work with you are like sort of haven't got time just like right find me a deal okay cool i just want the income or would you say the majority are kind of someone like me who's like, I know how to do it, but I want multiple sort of options? We got a mixed bag. The majority of us, the majority of the guys, our clients, uh, they're usually overseas. So they've got no know-how of actually, you know, how the UK property market works, where to start. And then you talk about, the, you know, the second phase of actually doing the refurb on the property. It'd be an absolute nightmare to try and manage that from, you know, Hong Kong or the Netherlands or wherever our, our clients are. Most of them, yeah, are just his, his – I'll pay this fee, take care of it for me. I don't really want to know about it. We've got a few clients that are a bit more hands-on, you know, uh, based in London. We want to see projects, want to see how it's going, and that and that's fine. But the general gist of it is, guys, we're, we're busy. We'll pay you guys to do this service and take it on. We just want the end result. And for anyone out there who's thinking about getting into deal sourcing – what are some of the misconceptions that maybe you believed or you were told at the start and then what was the reality? 
Yeah, I'd like to hear your take on this, Tej, because I know you'd have a few of these as well. But man, there is a lot. There is a lot. The first one, this is this is a big one. Don't believe the hype. Like there's so much hype surrounding, you know, surrounding deal sourcing. It's straightforward, it's easy. Hey, you just be the glue. You link someone to somebody else, there you go, away you go. So don't believe all the hype. Like really, really think about it and speak to someone that's gonna be honest with you about it. Um that's a massive one. Choose choose what you say yes to as well when you're deal sourcing. I guess this is for anything, any business. But I get caught up initially in just a lot of time wasters, like people going, yeah, I've got this, I've got that, or I'm investor, I'm ready. And you spend so much time because you can't discern who to spend your time with and who not. And you don't want to be rude and you don't want to have bad customer service, but you got to really be careful who, you know, what, what you say yes to and what you spend your time doing. Because when you're saying yes to something, you're taking your time away from something else, and that's a, that's a big one to learn. Mm, yeah, I think the second point is so important for life. And you know, as a deal source, you're going to get so many investors coming to you. You're potentially going to be seeing a lot of deals, yep. and it, sometimes it's like, yeah, you, st- you need to stop saying yes to it. But sometimes, when you're analysing a deal, you need to not make it a yes because. Yep. A lot of deal sources will get a deal. Ooh, there's a comparable on a much nicer street. <laughs> in the pack. And then, you know, say an overseas investor who has like no idea will yeah. just say, oh, yeah, that's, they look similar. That's, wow, this mm. is a really good deal. Not realizing that that's the Mayfair street and you're on the, you know, rubbish street. So yeah. um, there's definitely that. And I think, what you said at the start about the hype is so true. Like I totally appreciate if you're not in an industry and someone says this is achievable and they're standing in front of a Ferrari in front of a mansion, you know, the whole spiel, your mind believes them because we don't want to hear Dean and me say, guys, it's going to take three months. It's going to take 50, 60 viewings. It's going to take 47 conversations. You don't want to hear that. The mind just wants to hear, Oh, you sold a deal and made three grand. Oh, nice mm. one, bro. It's like, um, sorry, did you not see the shit I had to go through? To yeah. Get point? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so definitely, you know, don't believe the hype. Um, I mean, if for you, how long did it take to go from, and maybe more, for, well, either yeah. when you were working with someone or when you were sort of doing it now as yourself, like how long did it take to go from starting to getting the money from your first deal sold? Yeah, it was. I didn't receive a cent, and this is a this is a big one. Take notes if you're looking to deal sourcing, looking looking to deal source. Sorry, I didn't receive a cent and until twelve months after I started. Again, I was in a position. I wasn't risking anything. I was still being paid full time through my rugby contract, so I was able to you know have that sacrifice. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people jump in and they go, "Yeah, I'm going to sell a deal in a month, and I'm going to get three grand a month, and that's replaced my wage." And then you know away I go. But it's it's not that easy. You can even if you find a deal, right, Terj? Like even if you're the best at finding deal deals, if you don't have qualified investors, you're selling to you're selling to the air. Like you're selling to no one. So it's it, or if you do have an investor, but he's very he or she's very specific about what they want, and you can't provide that. Again, you you need to really be able to merge the two. So we went for for twelve months before we actually received anything from from our first deal. And that's a very long time. Um, yeah. People, no one wants to hear that. So we'll no. say it again, it took 12 months to get money. Yeah. 
when you first started now yeah. to, a, a little caveat on that we how, how we how our business operates is we don't receive any payment until the exchange on the property has been completed so that's so it would have been a little bit earlier if we paid ourselves and we actually sold the deal but the money stays in escrow stayed how we operate in escrow until that exchanges but still it was a long time and why did it take that long like what was the technical physical reason so people really understand it's just being able to being able to find investors like who i was working with who i was partnered up at the time who was mentoring me um again very thankful had a lot of information but and a lot of training and time went into you know giving me the the kind of tools i know today but i wasn't aware that they didn't actually have investors um and again it's that you know investors are everywhere you can find them everywhere it's, it's not hard to do but so we were stacking up deals we were putting deals out there to to the void to no, to no one so it was like what are we doing but then you know as we started to build networks as we started to grow we we eventually you know got solid qualified we call them qualified investors on board um to sell those deals to um yeah and that kind of leads me to a question which i think is asked in every facebook group on every instagram story at every networking event which is Okay, I want to be a deal sourcer. What do I find first? Do I find deals? And then I'm like, uh-oh, this agent is waiting for me to find a buyer, and I'm now I've got to find a buyer. Or do yeah. I find investors, which is like, what am I showing them? What am I proving to them? And then find a deal? Like, you know, it feels yeah. a bit chicken and egg to me, but what are your thoughts on which should be done first, if any? Yeah, I don't know if I go against the grain when I say this, but I, our our kind of approach at Parada Property is you need qualified investors. If you've got qualified investors and they trust you, you can build that rapport, then they're so much more willing to buy a deal off you. So I think that's the most important part. Again, if you've got qualified investors and you don't have a Scooby-Doo how to find a deal, then there's no point in that. So you do have to be working on the deal sourcing in the background as well, but you need to have the people to sell to i think that's got to be the first part yeah i i kind i find myself agreeing with you you know like i think there's they're definitely equal in some respects but yeah i would weight it more towards investors because i would rather and it might sound bad, but i'd rather say like i'd rather not let an agent down you know because yeah it's so hard to find deals to find good agents and to get both to like if I have an agent there and I've said I'm buying it, then I'm buying it, like rain or shine. So instead of, say, I'd rather let down investors and say, look, guys, I haven't got any deals yet. Um, carry yeah. on, you know, and yeah. because that's a totally different scenario and situation. Um, so if people listening are like, okay, cool, then I, I need to find investors. What, and, you know, you're kind of saying before that people, you know, say, oh, it's easy there everywhere. How yeah, do you yeah. recommend, how did you find qualified investors? Just networking, like social media, you cannot underestimate the power of social media. It's huge. And they are out there and there's a lot out there. But to actually get them to trust you from the other 1,000, you know, property deal sourcing companies out there, that's the differentiation you need to make. Um, But social media is huge. Being able to, you know, have an attractive brand, have a clear message with what you're doing and then network from there, that's mainly for – for overseas, I would say investors, um, local, you know, UK-based investors as well. You can, you get a lead, and it's face to face. You can meet up, have that conversation, and then really show them 
what you're about. You've got a thousand networking events out there as well. They're, they're really important. So I think it's just not spreading yourself too thin and, and trying to be everywhere, but have a couple of really, you know, focus on a couple of lead points like social media, networking events, and then really just, just, you know, knuckle down on, on mastering those and networking as much as you can. Definitely. And when it comes to, and I suppose if we kind of speak um, like kind of specifically on that, so I'm a deal sourcer, yep. you know, how would you recommend people approach investors? Because I suppose when you're starting out, you haven't, most people are unlikely to actually have a deal or kind of something to say, yep. you know, here's my thing. Would you recommend that people get some example deal packs? Would you recommend they just say, look, I'm starting out. You know, are you happy to receive deals? Are you looking like what kind of conversation should people have? Because people get really hung up on this. Yeah, yeah. And this is again, this is what I was talking about earlier about wasting time because investors are gonna waste time too. Like there's, you know, investors out there that are just there to, I don't know, waste everyone's time. But be honest, just be upfront with what you got, like what you're doing, what it is, you know, what's your what's so good about your deals? And Again, confidence, you need to portray confidence when you're doing that. Confidence a lot of the time comes from experience. So it's just about being honest with the investor. This is what we do. This is what we'll provide for you. This is the deal we're looking at. If I don't have one yet, hey, these are the type of deals, you know, hypothetically that we're going to be sending through. Can I add you to my mailing list or my WhatsApp list or or whatever it is? And listen to the investor because there's no point, you know, stacking up uh, a six-bed HMO in Manchester if they're looking for a buy-to-let in london you know what i mean or leads so listen to the investor about what their criteria is and you know don't don't come across as as wasting their time or even you know giving them something they're not interested in because that'll just you know turn them off especially in the initial stages when you haven't got that relationship built up yet yeah i agree and i think it can be as simple and, and kind of straightforward as that i mean sometimes they get instagram messages saying Oh, we're deal sources. We'd love to add you to our list. That, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I'm like, bro, like, you don't know where I'm investing. You don't know what I want. I don't want to see yeah. your shitty deals. Like, <laughs> ha, like, how are you going to get? And like, I think also people need to sort of, yes, it takes more time. It takes more time to be like, Hey, Tej, this is us. I'm um, just really quickly wanted to ask, you know, are you interested in deals in this area of this return? This is what we're up to. If you are, let me know. We can have a further chat. Because then yeah. I'm going to say, "Ooh, it's leads. Okay, I'm in leads. Ooh, it's twenty percent. Mm, not happy with that, but I'll have a chat because it's close enough." So it's yep. kind of like showing people roughly what you're working with, and you don't even have to have a deal at that point because you're saying these are the kinds of deals that you know we source or we will be sourcing. Yep. Are you interested in this? Um, yeah. So I think people get really stuck on that and. How useful has social media been for you, whether it's finding investors or selling to investors? Yeah, it's it's huge. Like social media is huge. The power to you know to reach people through that. Again, I'm probably saying it, it's bigger than other people might because that's our main. You know, that's one of our main strategies that we're using. If if you know you go to networking events all the time, then again, people are going to say, "Well, that's huge as well." But no, social media is huge, and and you've got you can you can essentially run a business you know without an office just by having an instagram page or whatever it is so that's that's massive but as as big as your social media reach is if if you don't have the right type of people on your page then then it's worth nothing you know if you've got a following you know whatever it is twenty thousand or whatever 
but they're all just bots or you know people that that aren't actually investors that are going to buy deals and it's not really worth much so it's about being being smart with what you're trying to do you know through social media as well and not just to get you know get followers or go viral because because that doesn't make money yeah i agree and i think you know before people start messaging to look for investors it will be good to post some content first just because you know if you get a message from someone especially a deal sourcer who is who you know is not asking for money but it's a service that will be paid for people are going to click on your page and like you said dean it's it is the shop front you know you don't need an office you don't need a shop front instagram is your shop front so if that is empty but you're saying all this stuff it's going to be like huh um And if you're a deal sourcer, you're doing viewings, you're doing analysis, you are, you're active. So there is a lot of content that you can post. Like, you know, people say, oh, I don't know what to post, what to post. It's like, yeah, you know, your life, you know, show people what you're doing, show people why they should be working with you. Yeah, 100%. Um, you use the term qualified investor. What's mm. the difference, people who knew from a, from an investor and a qualified investor for, uh, for you as a deal sourcer? For me, that's just a term to you know to kind of distinguish them from time wasters. If they're qualified, they're the real deal. You know, they got proof of funds; they're actually ready to go. Then, then they're qualified because you can have again. Everybody's an investor. Everybody wants to buy property. Everybody's interested in you know this and that. But if you if you don't you know ask the tough questions early on and really kind of filter them through then you're going to waste time speaking to people that are going to do nothing and again it's a tough it's a tough kind of line to walk because you don't want to be arrogant and you know just write off people because you think they're not qualified you need to be you know careful how how you do that but again at the end of the day you're there to run a business and that you're there to provide you know property deals good property deals for people and you can't do that if you're you're spending your time with people that you know aren't giving anything back in return yeah, I agree. And and this kind of goes back to one of your earlier points about like saying no to stuff. I think it's knowing, and you learn this over time, you know, at the start, someone will come in and say, yeah, I'm a big shot investor, blah, blah, blah. And you'll be like, oh my God, yeah, I've got an investor. Yeah. And then there's two pounds in the bank account. And you're like, okay, well, sorry, but this is not kind of property. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, but I think it, it like that naturally comes with time. So people shouldn't necessarily beat themselves up if they're like, oh, damn it. I thought they were an investor. I thought they were this, but I suppose having, I mean, you, do you have like a checklist that you're like, that you always go through and you recommend that people should create their own checklist of like what makes a qualified investor? I've, I've probably become a little bit more ruthless as I've gone on. Like I'll, I'll have the conversation. That's fine. Happy to have the conversation. The conversation you'll get, you'll get a natural itch straight away. Okay. Do they know mm. what they're talking about? Are they serious? And that's more of a, you know, intuition thing. But then, then I will, I'll be a bit ruthless in the sense that, okay, that's fine. You're ready to go. We've got that relationship. We've built that. This is what we do. We'll send these out, um, happy to address them to you specifically, but then the rest is on you. Don't come back and say, yeah, I want to go ahead. I want to do this, that, and this deal. If you know, you're not willing to sign contracts and, and to pay, you know, our fees, which, which is what we need to proceed. So those are the things that you just got to be a bit, again, it's your time versus, versus their time. And you got to really respect that. That time's so important, especially when you're running a business. So if they're not willing to proceed and kind of make that next step, whether it is to sign contracts and and you pay invoices and that type of thing, then you got to kind of go, okay, these guys, you know, they're they're not they're not qualified, they're not ready to go. Yeah, and you know, I'm the same with investors. Are you people who are going to loan me money? Um, yeah. 
uh, you know, I probably should be less ruthless because it's, it's it's a bit different to kind of deal sourcing. But I think again, over time, people should become more ruthless with it because time is money. Your time yeah. is money. If someone's not serious and you're not looking for friendship, then you don't you don't need to have the conversation. <laughs> um, well, I, I remember cool. hearing this from you a while ago, and you're like, I was on, I think your Insta story, and you're like, no, I, no, I don't want to jump on a quick call with you. No, I don't want to sit there and have a chat. And I'm like, that's so true. Like people hit me up saying, hey, can we jump on a call? It's like, like why do you want to jump on a call? And earlier on, I would have jumped on every call, and that's fine because mm. you know you're learning. And now it's like okay, get to the point, what is it that we're trying to do here? If you want to, you know, jump on a call and sell me about, I don't know, some block in highlands of Scotland that no one's interested in, then I'm sorry, like, I, I don't. So you got to really just, you know, just just cut. It's hard. you got to be ruthless, but good customer service as well. Protect your time. Exactly. At the end of the day, if you're busy wasting your time chatting shit to every Tom, Dick and Harry, then your actual <laughs> customers, your actual clients are yeah. getting left behind. You know, they're not going to, they're just not going to benefit. And like, I used to yeah. do free 15 minute calls with people and because they were free, even though everyone's cheap as shit. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm talking to you listeners, uh, some of yeah. you, um, <laughs> like they wanted it free, but they wouldn't turn up because it was free. They didn't value it or they yeah. were just, yeah, of course. you know, and I was like, this is so dumb. And actually, since I've stopped doing it, you know, it allows me to then give more time to my mentees or people in my community or people who are paying respectfully yeah. for value. And I think it, it is hard to learn that because when you start out, you're like, well, well, that person could, they could pay me or they could mm. be an income generator. Then over time, you're like, nah, 90% of you are waste mans. I want yeah. the 10% of you who are actually going to, and it is what it is, you know, like, yeah, if, if I want friends, I'll put a thing out and we can all chat and sing Kumbaya together. But, yeah. you know, I don't know. Getting, well, that's- getting, it's, it's, sorry, it's the same mentality as a deal, right? Like you could go, oh, that deal could work. I could make it work if we'd done this, this, and this. But you just got to, you know, as, again, this could be an investor. They could come through and they could be, you know, interested and follow through. But you, you got to err more to the side of, well, you got to be positive because that's everything in deal sourcing is having a positive outlook and making it happen and having a, you know, how do we do it attitude. But if you're just going, yeah, that'll work, or yeah, they're an investor, then again you're saying yes to everything and you're you're wasting a lot of time mm-hmm. and i'm um, speaking of positive if i flip it to the negative what is the hardest experience let's kind of broad there what is the hardest experience you've had as a deal sourcer yeah that's a good question actually um so ex- where do we start there's there's a few like we're in a really good place now where we've weeded out a lot of those kind of friction areas but one of the hardest ones is is okay the hardest one is managing client expectations and you know that that is real tricky whether it's you know a rip out starts and there's a crack in the wall that nobody could have ever foreseen um, you know, just managing the expectations that things do go wrong in property or timeframes like COVID. We, you know, we had about 10 HMO conversions that we were doing at once throughout COVID. And it's really hard to tell guys, hey, like our builders can't go on site today or there's a real, real problem with, you know, the supply chain and materials aren't being delivered and costs have gone up. So managing those expectations, clients' expectations with, you know, what they can expect and what you're providing. And also just from the outset, just letting them know, hey guys, there is these are the things, X, Y, and Z, that you need to look out for and that can go wrong without scaring them away. But managing expectations. There's there's I could list I could write you a list for the next, you know, forty five minutes, but that's probably the big biggest takeaway. 
Mm. And I think what you kind of touched on there is, I mean, a few different topics, but one of the biggest issues in life, in anything from the level of government down to the level of your neighbor mm. is communication. You know, yeah. like we don't, you know, we don't communicate properly, like no. as humans. Um, and there's plenty of books on it. There's plenty of research, but we just don't, I think we struggle to communicate, especially when money's involved because money changes the conversation and it changes the dynamic. And yep. I think it's easy. Well, I don't know if it is, but I think for most of us, it's easier to, and builders do this all the time, bury your head in the sand, yeah. not say anything, <laughs> yes. just you run know, away. <laughs> yeah, literally run away and just hope it all works out and come back and everyone will be like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, didn't need you to message me. Like, it's fine. You carry on being a knob. Um, yeah. Whereas actually what we need to pick up the phone is and say, Dean, look, this is what's happened. This is why it's happened. This is our problem. It is going to affect you. Yeah. Because of the, you know, the, the timeline. However, you know, we're letting you know as a courtesy and letting you know, you know, in case you've got your finance, et cetera, might, you know, add mm -hmm. on another week. Um, unfortunately there's nothing that we could have done about it or being really, you know, having some radical candor and saying, look, we should have seen this. And mm -hmm. you might do this when you're big starting out because you make more mistakes and say, look, because of this, you know, I'll, I'll refund a small amount of the fee or yep. give you 10% off your next deal or, you know, just something of goodwill yep. because, and a lot of, um, a lot of businesses do not realize, in fact, I would say 90% of businesses don't realize this. I don't want you, Dean, as my customer. I want you, but I want your auntie. I want your uncle. I want yeah. your brother. I yeah. want your neighbor. I want everyone that you were going to tell about how awesome I am. I don't want your 50 quid. Take your 50 quid back. I want, I want the 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. And like, people are so dumb. I, yeah. I've, I've just had enough of like, just businesses being stupid. And so, if deal sources could do that and communicate that as scary as it is and as scary as, you know, one out of 10 people will say, you dick, what have you done? Yeah. I don't know. Most people are probably just going to say, I appreciate it. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Yeah. Honesty, man. Honesty, it trumps everything to be transparent up front and just go, listen, even if, listen, we dropped the ball here. This is where we made the mistake. This is, you know, going to be the aftermath of it, but this is how we're going to fix it. So that goes a long way because investors aren't stupid as well. Or well, anybody, they're going to see through it and they're going to say, well, you're saying that this was out of your control and, you know, you had no fault in this. It just happened. But, you know, they'll connect the dots and say, but this is where it went wrong and you should have told us. So just getting in that habit of it's hard to do. It is really hard to do because nobody wants to, have awkward conversations or, you know, deliver bad news, but just getting in a habit of just, you know, taking it head on when there's an issue and just biting the bullet and not burying your head in the sand and not leaving it for weeks, just going, okay, we need to resolve this. Let's nip it in the butt and get it, get it done now. Because, and there's a lot of trust, man. There's a lot of trust that investors place in deal sources, especially when they're overseas, especially, you know, if you're a deal source that's starting off and you're trying to get started and you don't have that kind of, um, reputation yet like they're placing a lot of trust in you so you really want to make sure you honor that trust and you do the right thing by them every every step of the way it's not gonna it's, it doesn't mean mistakes won't happen they will but just being upfront and you know dealing with those when they come and also being able to identify what mistakes are genuinely yours and what mistakes aren't you you can't help that in covid 
steel prices doubled. You, you, there's nothing you can do to stop that. All that, you know, timber has doubled as well, 50%, like all these material costs and whatever else. You can't control that, but you can be upfront and say, this is, listen, this is what's happened. We can't control it, but this is how we're going to deal with it and move forward. And again, it ties back to just having that communication and respecting their trust and respecting them enough to, you know, let them know and communicate throughout the whole process, every step of what's actually going on. Yep. Well said, sir. I totally agree with you. And actually, a story on that steel price, I was visiting someone who did a a big, big conversion, you know, where the original steel price was 80 grand. So you can tell, I mean, it's freaking huge already. Like It's a big project. Yeah. And then COVID happened, blah, blah, blah. And it actually, I think their steel price then went up to £190,000. Oh my gosh. And you had to pay it. Like, yeah. well, we, we, <laughs> you can't, you can't run away, can you? We've got, unless you want the roof to fall in, we've got an exact same one. We've got a nine bed HMO conversion in Manchester. And like the whole thing is structural. Like all the walls that we're ripping out are structural. And it's like initially you budget it at like, you know, 10, 15 grand, whatever it is. And, and you're coming back now and going, guys, like, we're sorry, but this isn't our fault. But anyway, the deal still stacks, so it's all good. But it's, you know, it is a tough one. And I think, and I said this to my mates who's a deal sourcer, and I, th- I, th- I think this idea is gold. I welcome your feedback. But on every terms and conditions, every whatever your contract is with people, on your website, whatever, there needs to be a section yep. that's just like clause number seven, real talk. And underneath it, it needs to list, and I also suggested to these lot that they should make a video because yep. it's more human, talking to the camera saying, look, so you're, you know, you're interested in buying a deal from us. Let me talk you through the unknowns and the risks and the potential hazards yes. in any property deal. Um, here's what can happen. Here's some examples from previous deals. Look at the size of this crack. You know, look at um, what we found underneath the floorboard, you know, and say, yeah. look, we, you know, we've, we've sourced 50, 60 deals, whatever. We take builders around. We do as much DD as is physically possible to protect your investment. But you must know that shit happens. And in property, when shit happens, it's a very expensive turd. Yeah. And, you know, to set that expectation from day one so that if you call me, Dean, and you say this has happened, I, I can't say to you, you didn't tell me. I have to say, yeah, that's really shit. But, yeah. okay, I watched the video. I read your, you know, your information. I appreciate it. And if some investor says, no, I only have £21,756 for that refurb, yeah. you know, then you'll have to say, then don't buy the deal because yeah. we cannot guarantee. Like, so... I think if all deal sources had that, I mean, it makes no sense to me that deal sources don't because you're protecting your own ass. Like you're mm-hmm. basically saying, here's my liability. Here's everything that can go wrong. Potentially. Um, I've told you be, a, it's like, do you know what I mean? It's like you go to like when you buy a medicine and it says, here's a side effect. If, well, if you <laughs> get a rush and fucking you read the thing in it, like, so, it's, exactly. So I don't know why more people don't do that. Um, I think it would help. I think it would help the whole industry of deal sourcing as well. What are your thoughts on that idea? Yeah, I like the video idea. That's really good. I'm probably going to look at something like that. But that, yeah, it is. It, it's just expectations, and it's going. But because I think the re- the reason that people don't do this though is, and I'll be honest, like this is you know a thought that that I've had myself is you're scared of scaring people away from the deal and not selling mm-hmm. the deal. But you are so much better. You are so much better 
being laying everything out on the table that can go wrong from the outset, they're getting three grand or four grand or whatever and having an upset investor. And again, you've got to put yourself in that position. They are putting so much trust in you. And, you know, not even all investors are loaded and rich and cashed up. Some of them have families. They, they just want an investment property. You know, they want to try and provide. And it's like you've got to put yourself in the position and go, okay, if I was in their position, would I prefer – to know everything from the outset and a hundred percent the answer will be yes every time. But I think it's a fear thing and, and probably possibly a greed thing as well, you know, sell the deal. And this is what a lot of investors do. Like I don't get this, but they'll sell the deal and then they're gone. So they'll sell the deal. They don't offer any follow-up, any, you know, project management. And that's fine. If you haven't got the services, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But at least stay with them through the due diligence process, the home buyer's report, structural survey if you need one, the damp and timber survey if you need one. Stay with them until conveyancing is done and the property is exchanged. What we do is we'll, we'll offer a refund, 100% refund on the deal that's sourced up until exchange. So if there is any issues along the way, we can go, guys, like, there's no way of foreseeing this, but the structural survey came back. You need a new roof. That's £20,000, you know, and they were, they're more than free to, you know, have their refund and walk away, which is what I do. I do that as well. But, yeah, I think it's, it's again, this, you know, sell a deal, you get 3K in your bank, walk away. And, yeah, you can do that, but it's not the right thing to do. You want to make sure that you're with the investor throughout that whole journey in case things do go wrong and you're doing the right thing in case they do. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I think you're right there when you said this about like they don't want to scare off investors because it's like mm-hmm. if you're trying to sell something, everything has pros, everything has cons. You're never going to say, you know, like, like no way do you go on, uh, when you go on Nike's website, nowhere does it say, when you buy this shoe, it's not actually that well made. Um, it looks nice. We make a huge premium. We basically use slave labor. Yeah. It looks really good though. Because yeah. <laughs> most people are going to say, oh, Okay. Like, so people don't list the negatives of anything, but if you're the one deal sourcer out of the hundreds who does, I mean, at the very minimum, it's a conversation starter because everyone's going to say, why does no one else show that? And you can say, because I'm not like anyone else. Boom. There's your kind of sales thing. Um, but like you said, you, it's better to have the right people on board. And again, all businesses, they want your money. And then they'll deal with the customer service issues. Right? It's yeah. like, oh, you didn't realize that. Oh, okay. But we've got your money now. So, you know, we'll yeah. work it out. And it creates, that creates, that creates so many headaches. I mean, if, if you're, you're going to be, excuse me, French, if you're going to be a bit of a prick and just walk away from that and take the money, mm-hmm. say, no, no refunds, you know, then of course you're burying your head in the sand. You don't have to worry about any, any issues. But if you want to build a reputation and a business and do it properly, then you're going to have caused yourself so many more potential issues down the track you know, for not doing that. But it's the other thing is deal packs as well. Like you, you'll read deal packs and they'll be HMO um, or buy to let, right? And it will say, um, you know, your 25% loan to value, your deposit, your refurb, and that's it. That's all your expenses that go into calculating the, the ROI. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have solicitor's fees. You have surveys. You have searches you need to pay for. You have this HMO. You've got architectural plans, council regulations, you've got build control, you've got sourcing fees, furniture, you know, but people will just, you know, try and paint the prettiest picture possible and, you know, and sell that deal on. And I think you just need to really, really make sure you're doing it right from the outset. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It's, you know, what makes a deal look better? Yeah, take away solicitor fees. And when, when the, the um, buyer says, wait a minute, where's this stuff? They're like, oh, well, that's that's your cost, obviously. You know, we're, we're just selling a deal. And it's like, well, yep. appreciate that. But a deal is not a deal without legal fees, without stamp mm-hmm. duty. Without, you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't exist on yeah, its with, own. Like, um, and... Another thing with deal deal packs is I think you know a lot of invest a lot of um, sources will just not have proper comparables. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen some without comparables. Yeah. Um, just sort of said, yeah, the agent said it's worth this, and I'm like, oh right, cool. Let me base my life savings um, off one random idiot agent and no other <laughs> research or data. It's like, so yeah. you know, I think there has to be that you know refurbs. They have to be, I'm not asking for a line by line schedule of works in the deal pack, although that would be nice, yep. but I'm asking for some more information instead of new carpet, rewire, new kitchen, bathroom, paint, decorate, done. It's like, uh, okay. Yep. Like, cause it also makes the deal sort of look dumb because you're like, bro, have you even walked around the place? Have you, have you, do you actually understand this? Yeah. Um, and a lot but, of people don't, as you know, a lot of people actually don't understand. But the sad thing is, is a lot of investors don't either. They just want an investment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It is, yeah, and, and that's what it is. And then people get away with it until something goes wrong, until someone posts on a Facebook group, I got ripped off by a deal source. And you analyze it, and it's like, yeah, it is their fault, but it's kind of your fault as well. Um, I think people, when buying deals, as much as using a deal source can help and is great, you have to understand property. You, as much as you want to be hands off and all this crap, mm-hmm. you know, like most deal sources, you well, no, every deal source really, you have to verify their work. Even though you're paying the money, mm-hmm. you still have to verify it yourself. And so, in order to verify something, you need to know it. So a lot of people say, "Oh, it's cool. I'll just I'll find a deal sourcer." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I want you to know more than that deal sourcer. I want you to be better than them at this. At this because you can't trust them." basically no. is, what, is yeah. what i kind of say to people um no. at least you know the, the first time you work with a deal source it works out incredible you've got a great relationship after that sure yep. you know it, it kind of changes a bit um you know deal sourcing you i know you source by and hmos but you've done a lot of hmos is there yep. any particular reason why you did or do hmos more than anything else yeah, I just we found ourselves gravitating towards HMOs. I, I love HMOs. The cash flow is insane, and so many of the, you know, the what would you call them concerns or reservations that people have about HMOs are actually really, really easy to answer. Like, we first of all, we don't do cheap flip, you know, HMOs, new carpet, new paint. There you go. We do proper refurb, you know, bulletproof HMOs that are going to be around for the next you know 100 years we'll go in and do it all properly but the query the concerns are a lot of people have is that okay there's five rooms so i've got a way higher chance of having voids and that's a very real concern and the second one is um that they're you know that they're very hard to to have um, licensed and those types of things um, but they're very easy concerns there is that much demand for for, for rooms and for accommodation in the UK that you can very easily fill those rooms. But a lot of this comes down to having the right networks, the right people in place, i.e., you know, agency to actually market the rooms, market them properly and be able to get you top rent. Um, 
if you're going in and you know people that can take care of HMOs and that know all the regulations and, and the builders are able to, you know, do the works accordingly with, you know, fire regulations and room sizes and everything like that, then the queries are very, very easy to answer. But yeah, that's a kind of long answer to your question. I just, we just found ourselves gravitating towards HMOs because of, you know, the cash flow they produce and because there's kind of a niche in the market where not a lot of people do them properly. And, you know, um, I think they're a great investment strategy. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And I think it's nice to pick a niche, especially maybe a niche that other sources aren't doing. So, you know, it kind of, again, helps you stand out a little bit. Um, you charge a higher fee with HMOs and, I think, you know, a lot of people like buyers like HMOs and they like, I think HMOs are a bit more out of reach in the sense that the retail is bigger, all this structural work on suites, mm-hmm. regs, architect, it just is tiring talking about it. Yep. Like my buy to let my flip refurb is like, yeah, cool. We do everything, but you know, it's a flip. It's a, re- it's, it's not kind of what you're doing. So mm-hmm. yeah, like people can look at me and say, you know what? I could, you know, I could probably sort of do something like that, watch Homes Under the Hammer, they do it. But HMOs, they're like, uh, this is mad complex. So, you know, it kind of makes sense, I think, that, you know, you do it. And yeah. it makes sense as a business to kind of do that. Now, um, we've spoken a lot about, you know, the challenges and difficulties with deal sourcing. But what has deal sourcing allowed you to do? What has it created for you? What has it given you? Yeah, it's probably painted quite a negative picture, haven't I? I'm just, I'm just trying to be upfront with people that are looking to get involved, or you know, you need to to weigh everything up and know what you're doing. But it is, Tej, honestly, man, it's it's awesome. I really enjoy it. There is stresses, extreme stresses that that come, but that's what we do. You're paid to, you know investors or clients outsource their stress onto you and they pay you for that so that they don't have to stress but that's a part of the parcel it's it's good like it, you learn so much you know it can be really profitable if, you, if you're doing it right um it's allowed us to grow grow our business and scale and and meet a lot of good people along the way like you meet a lot of good people along the way but the the biggest part is just really kind of finding investment opportunities, you know, for our own company and for ourselves. And it's probably a bit personal, but friends and family and that type of thing, when you can see the, you know, the amount of money that property makes and you can see that there's ways to actually finance purchase of property without using, you know, your own money and that's something you do really well, then you can actually, you know, help your friends and family set themselves up Um and not have to, you know, have that stress of, of where's the next pay- paycheck coming from or, or whatever else. So it's a really, it's a really rewarding, um, it's a really rewarding uh, job. And to be able to work for yourself and run your own race and build, you know, build your own thing is exciting as well. Because you can, it's, you know, if for me, me in the past, I've always worked, you know, for companies and been employed by something else, which is absolutely nothing wrong with. But sometimes you just feel like you're kind of feeding into something that's not really giving you back. But where you're a deal sourcer or really you own your own business for, for that matter, everything that you put in, you're getting a direct result from. You know, everything you put in, you're going to benefit from in the future. So that's real rewarding when you see that start to take shape. Mm. And, you know, do you think it's a way – do you think it is, one – a great way for people to get started in property and then two 
Like, does it has it set you up for buying your own property because you've basically done it twenty times? Yeah, yeah, well, a hundred percent. Like, I first first part is yeah, it it is a good way to get get started, but do it properly. Don't don't believe the hype. Sit down, um, you know, do your due diligence on what you actually need to provide, and be prepared. Like, because I've got friends that are always interested, and they're like, "Hey, I'm interested. I want I want to do it." And I say, "That's fine. Be prepared not to be paid." For this long okay and if you're willing to do that and pay that you know make that sacrifice now then i guarantee it will reward you happy to help you along the way help you to you know have guidance and that type of thing but be prepared to make that you know that sacrifice um so it is it is definitely a great way to get into property and you learn so much about property as well because you are you know the eyes and ears of that person that wants to invest, the, the person that you're trying to sell that deal for, you need to be able to explain everything. And you're going to have some questions that you might not be able to answer. When you do, that's great because that means you have to learn. You know, you learn what you didn't know before. But the, um, yeah, to, to invest in, in our own property and scale our own portfolio, yeah, absolutely. Because you see the amount of money, you know, people are making on these deals, like HMOs specifically we've talked about because of the cash flow they produce. You see, you know, the amount of money once a refurb's done and you're just like, what are, what am I doing here? If they're, I'm, I'm making all this money for these guys. So it does drive you to, to really scale yourself. We've got a property that actually get this, Tej, it, it finishes this fr- – furniture's coming this Friday and the valuation's being done on Monday. So that's been, you know, an eight-month project <laughs> that we're excited for. So those are the things that, you know, we're, we're doing along the way, um, building our own portfolio. And, you know, we spoke earlier about your sporting background. Yeah. So we've kind of spoken about the business and, you know, how it functions and how it sort of can be run. And I suppose the kind of technicalities of a business. But for you as a human, um, how do you ensure that your how do you ensure your peak performance? Like any tips and tricks? Yeah. Any core principles that you follow as a sportsman and as a person? that kind of also make you a better businessman? Yeah, I think I, I, I'm not one of those ones that's like, yeah, I don't take any days off. I'm working around the clock. My phone's always on. I don't like that. Like if people can do that, then good on them. For me though, like I think it's so important to unplug. It's so important to, you know, turn your phone off, spend time with your, your wife, your family, your girlfriend, whatever it is, and just unplug. Like, so that's one thing that, you know, I really try and be protective about. Like as much as I'm, you know, I love what I do. I love working, getting up early, having big days and, and getting stuff done. I think when you do unplug and you do rewind, take that time off, I think I'm more effective in actually working on the business, if that makes sense. And I guess what forces me to do that is the fact that I, I do play, you know, professional rugby and I do need to be physically rested and, and you know, ready to go when it is when it is go time. So I'm thankful that that doesn't take up too much time. That property is, you know, the main thing we do day in, day out. But I do when, it, when it's game time, I need to be ready to go. So I've got kind of an excuse to unplug as well. Mm, yeah, I love that. And I think that balance is so important. And I think we're, we're kind of in a world now where, you know, we're taking balance – bit more seriously mm. that kind of hustle culture still yep. exists yeah. and it's still very american and all that crap but like I well, do even think australian that, as well like i'm australian in is australia it? we're way worse than you guys here yeah oh I, I watched that program i love it the one in um with um 
what's his name? The little guy who sells property, uh, luxury listings in Sydney. Yeah, it's like our version of Selling Sunsets or whatever, isn't it? But you know what? It's so much better because Selling Sunset is just gossip and crap. <laughs> yeah. and like, my wife guy, loves it. <laughs> oh my, I used to watch it and then, yeah. then the houses disappeared and then yeah. it was just... Them I, them shit. But like, with, the, with the one luxury <laughs> listings in Sydney, I feel like it's actually about the houses. Yeah. Like, there's not really much drama and he is so... Like the guy, I keep, um, wine, what's his name? I forgot his name, little guy. Um, I, can't, I don't know. Yeah, he is so, like, he's a, he's a salesman. He's a bit of a kind of wide boy-ish, but he is just so freaking good. Yeah. Like. Oh, Rubenstein? Like, that's it, Rubenstein. Yes, yes. He has got a, he's got the gift of the gab, doesn't he? He's incredible. And like, it's so inspirational because like, He's so suave, yeah. and he's he he's just at the top of his game, like in yeah. the country, maybe in in the world. I'm sure he's one of the, and it's so inspiring. So yeah, um, you know, people need to make time to 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 watch silly shows like this. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's hey, that that's that ties into unplugging, unplug, watch silly real estate shows. A hundred percent. And look, if anyone says anything, you can say, "Well, actually, I'm technically working a little bit because yeah, it's yeah. about <laughs> watching yeah, Rubenstein in his nice oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Dean, is there one bit of technology or an app or some software that you just can't live without? Yeah, I thought about this. There's actually a lot, but like the the biggest game changer for me was, and it's silly because it's a real simple one, is just a new iPhone. Like just having a new your iPhone is your is your office in your hand. So just having that iPhone, you know, to take around with you, you can do everything on it. You can film, you can send emails, you can access your drive, you can access your social pages, contracts, edit, whatever. Just having a good up-to-date phone, whether it's iPhone, Samsung, whatever, makes your life so much easier. So that's that's definitely the game changer. I like it. And um, other phones are available. Android, yeah. Android is also a... Yeah, uh, I'm, just, I'm not an iPhone salesman. <laughs> um, it's also a good option. And uh, well, Dean, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think it's been an interesting conversation. And I really, really hope that, you know, people take from this the reality of deal sourcing, um, of which you're, you know, you're going through. And you're also showing the realities of deal sourcing. So where should people go to keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, um, so Parada Property on Instagram, on Facebook, all our kind of contact information is there. Get in touch, send us a DM, whatever it is. You'll see we document everything on there too, Tej. You know, we document our, our projects, what we're doing, where we're up to, um, show everything. And then, yeah, reach out through there is probably the easiest way. We also have a website, paradaproperty.co.uk. Um, and, yeah check us out and get in touch if you if you've got questions or you want to want to hand with anything amazing dean thanks so much cheers tej appreciate it man if you like this podcast connect with tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content